This is In the Word with Mel Bennett, a study of scripture passages from the Word of God. This is episode number 35, and my name is Steve Webb. Thank you for being with us today. It's great to be back with you again. I'm so thankful that our beloved Pastor Bennett is back behind the microphone. It's been about 10 months, and I'm thrilled to be able to produce this episode for you. In today's episode, Pastor Bennett is in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. He's in verses 32 through 35. He'll be discussing the Holy Spirit and the first disciples. If you have your Bible with you, let's read along with our pastor. Pastor Bennett, I'm so glad to say the floor is yours. Welcome back. Thank you, Steve. I so much appreciate your help. The coming of the Spirit and the first disciples is what we're going to discuss. And we go to John chapter number 1, verses 32 through 35. Let's begin reading at verse number 32. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Something happened at the baptism of Jesus which convinced John the Baptist beyond all doubt that Jesus was the Son of God. At the baptism of Jesus, the Spirit of God came upon him with power. John says he saw this in the form of a dove. A dove to a Jew was a sacred bird, neither hunted nor eaten. The picture of a dove was one which the Jew both knew and loved. Remember, at this time, the Christian doctrine and realization of the Spirit had not yet come into being. When John the Baptist spoke of the Spirit coming upon Jesus, he was thinking in Jewish terms of that day. What was the Jewish idea of the Spirit? The Jewish word for Spirit is ruach, R-U-A-C-H, which means wind. To the Jews, there were always three basic ideas of the Spirit. The Spirit was power, power like a mighty rushing wind. The Spirit was life, secondly, the very center and soul and essence of life. The very dynamic of the existence of man was through the Spirit of God. Thirdly, the Spirit was God. The power and the life of the Spirit was beyond mere human achievement and attainment. The coming of the Spirit into a man's life was the coming of God. Above all, it was the Spirit who controlled the prophets and inspired these prophets. Look at Micah's, listen to his words in Micah 3, verse number 8. But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of justice and might to declare Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. Isaiah 59, 21 says, As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth, shall not depart out of thy mouth nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, seed, saith the Lord from henceforth and forever. 
Again in Isaiah 6, 1, Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. And in Isaiah, the 36th chapter, in verse number 26, it says, A new heart will also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will put my spirit within you says verse number 27. You see, the Spirit of God did three things for the person in whom he came. He brought to people the truth of God. Secondly, he gave people the power to recognize the truth when they saw it. And thirdly, he gave them the ability and the courage to preach the truth to people. Now at his baptism, in a most unique way, the Spirit came upon Jesus. This coming of the Spirit upon Jesus was in a totally different way than he had ever come upon any other person. Before men had what might be called spasmodic experiences of the Spirit. These were moments of dazzling illumination, of extraordinary power, of superhuman courage. However, these times would come and go. John the Baptist goes out of his way to point out the fact that the Spirit remained on him. This was no momentary inspiration. In Jesus, the Spirit uniquely took up his permanent abode. This is just another way of saying that the mind and the power of God was uniquely upon Jesus. Here we can learn a great deal about what the word baptism means also. In the Greek, it means to dip or to emerge. It was used of clothes being dipped in dye or of a ship submerged beneath the waves. It can also be used of a person being so drunk that he is soaked in drink. John tells us that when Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, he means that Jesus can bring God's Spirit to us in such a way that we are soaked in the Spirit, that life is permeated with him, that we are saturated with the Spirit of God. What did this baptism mean for John? Well, first of all, understand John's own baptism means two things. First of all, it meant cleansing. It meant that man was being washed from the impurities that clung to him. It meant dedication. Secondly, it meant that the, they went out to a new, a different, and a better kind of life. Jesus' baptism, however, was a baptism with and of the Spirit. This was a different kind of baptism. This was a baptism where God took control of a man's very life. Certain things happen when the Spirit takes control of an individual. Number one, life is illuminated. There comes a knowledge of God. The will of God becomes clear. The person knows what God's purpose is and uh, follows that purpose. He understands that what life means and where duty lies. Some of God's wisdom and light has come into them. Secondly, life is strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Knowledge without power is a frustrating thing. The Spirit gives us not only knowledge to know the right, but also the strength and the power to do the right. The Holy Spirit gives us a triumphant adequacy to cope with duties of life. Thirdly, life is purified. Christ's baptism was to be a baptism with fire, Matthew 3.11 and Luke 1.3.16. The filth of evil things is cleansed and burned away until a person is clean and pure. Too often our prayers for the Spirit are a kind of formality, I'm afraid. 
But when we know that for which we are praying, our prayers for the Spirit become a desperate cry of a hungry heart for more of God. Oh God, I need you and long for more of you to control my life. May God grant that this becomes the way we seek God for a baptism with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The second thing I want us to discuss this morning is the first disciples. In John chapter 1, verse 35 through 39, we read these words. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as, his, as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following them, him, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour, or about four o'clock in the afternoon. This passage is full of beautiful revealing truths and touches, I believe. It starts with John the Baptist once again pointing to one beyond himself. He must have known that when he spoke, as he did, about Jesus, it would cause those who followed him to follow this new and greater teacher. Yet he did it. No, no, there's no jealousy here. He had come to attract men to Jesus and not to himself. There is no harder task than to take the second place once the first place has been known and enjoyed. Believe me, I speak from experience here, for I pastored in two places, and I said I would never be an assistant to anyone again. But God knew better. I had resigned to pastoring in North Dakota and was enjoying a somewhat fruitful evangelistic ministry when I found myself stranded in Southern California and my ministry shut down by unusual cancellations. It was then I was compelled to take a position as a second-place pastor. The question was, would I obey God and stay in that position or not? It was a most difficult decision to make. But God took, and he always takes, the divine initiative. You see, once Jesus had emerged and come on the scene, John never had any thought but to send men to him. So two of John the Baptist's disciples left him and followed Jesus. Then Jesus did something that was entirely typical of him. He turned and spoke to them. In other words, he met them halfway. He made things easier, and he still does, praise God. He opens the door and invites the person seeking him in. Oh, how easy it is to come to Jesus today. All you need to do is accept his invitation. Once you begin in your heart to long for him, he in fact will meet you more than halfway. This is a picture of, I believe, divine invitation. God will always take the first step toward us. The Bible declares that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Notice it says he came to seek. And we need to rest upon that word that God is seeking after us. When we go to God, he does not hide himself and keep us at a distance. We go to him, one who stands willing and waiting for us, and who even takes the initiative by coming to meet us on the road of life. 
When the prodigal son returned home, the Bible tells us the father ran to meet him. Oh, a picture of man returning to God this is. For the father ran to meet the son. The son didn't run to meet the father, but the father ran to meet him. And what a beautiful picture it is of our returning to God. Secondly, there was a divine question. Jesus begins by asking these two men in the most fundamental question of life, what are you looking for? Were they nationalists looking for a political leadership and a military commander who would help them to crush the power of Rome? This was a big issue of their day. Or were they humble men of prayer seeking for God and his will? Or were they simply puzzled, bewildered men and sinners seeking the light on the road of life and forgiveness from God? It would be well if everyone now and then would ask ourselves the question, what am I looking for? What am I trying to get out of life? What is my aim and goal? If I am honest in the depth of my heart, what am I really trying to get out of life? Some people are trying to get security. These want a position which provides safety. If they can have enough money to meet the everyday needs of life, and then a little left over for the time of retirement, theirs is a material desire. Now this is not a wrong aim, but it is a low aim. It is an inadequate aim for which direct all of your life. In reality, let us admit, there is no safe place. Nothing is really secure in the troubled world in which we live. Secondly, some people are seeking for a career. They are searching for power, for prominence, for prestige, a place to fit the talents and abilities they believe they have in and of themselves. They are looking for an opportunity to do the work they believe themselves capable of doing. It is not a bad aim either. If it is directed by motives of personal ambition, it can be a bad aim. If it is motivated by the desire to serve our fellow man, it can be a high aim. Dear friend, the search for God, that is the only aim Jesus Christ can meet and supply. Peace can never be found outside of Jesus. I, I believe we need to look at man's answer to the question of what are you seeking. They answered him, where are you staying? Note first they called him rabbi. Rabbi, where are you staying? That is a Hebrew word meaning my great one. It was a title of respect given by seekers of knowledge to teachers and wise men. John was writing his gospel for Greeks who would not recognize this Hebrew word, so he translated it for him. them. He used a Greek word which means teacher. Why did these men ask this kind of a question? It was not mere curiosity. They meant that they not only wished to speak to Jesus on the road in passing words, they wished to enter in and linger long with him and talk about their problems and their troubles. The one who wants to be Jesus' disciple can never be satisfied with a passing word with Jesus. He wants to meet Jesus, not as a mere acquaintance in passing, but as a friend in his own house. Now Jesus gave an answer. Listen to what he said, come and see. Jewish rabbis had a way of using that phrase in their teaching. They would say, do you want to know the answer to the question? Do you want to know the answer and solution to your problem? Well, then come and see. We will think about it together. When Jesus said, come and see, he was inviting them not only to come and talk, but to come and find the things that he alone could open to them. Now, 
he closes with a comment about the time. John, who wrote this gospel, ends his paragraph by telling us it was about four in the afternoon. It may be that he was one of the two who followed Jesus that day. You see, he could tell you exactly what time it was, for he was there and he knew. He could tell you the very hour he walked and talked with Jesus. I believe when a person really meets Christ, he will never forget that time any more than he can forget the day of his physical birth. It means and marks the dividing line between the time when he did not know Jesus and the time he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I have heard many people say they were Christians all their life and could not tell you when they were born again. I believe you can know the time and the place. I was born into a Christian home, but I knew the time when, as a teenager, I accepted Jesus and was truly born again of the Spirit of God. If you cannot say that today, why not open your life to Jesus and make Him the Lord of your life right now? He is saying, let's sit down and talk. You can tell me anything, and I will answer and hear you and give you an answer to your deepest questions. Listen to the words of a beautiful hymn written by John H. Stockton, who lived in 1811 through 1877. He pastored in New Jersey, wrote about 25 hymns, and published two songbooks. It is uncertain exactly when he wrote this great song, but listen to the words, only trust him. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord, and he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. Only trust him, only trust him, only trust him now, for he will save you, he will save you, he will save you now. Second verse says, For Jesus shed his precious blood, rich blessings to bestow, plunge now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow. Yes, Jesus is the truth, the way that leads you into rest. Believe in him without delay, and you are fully blessed. Come then and join this holy band, and on to glory go to dwell in that celestial land where joys immortal flow. Only trust him, only trust him, only trust him now. He will save you, he will save you, he will save you now. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we come to you this morning or this day, and we thank you for your many blessings which you have provided us with. You have given us food to eat. You have given us shelter over our heads, clothes to wear, and we're so grateful and thankful. But we're most thankful for the salvation that you have provided for us through Jesus Christ, if we will but accept him. And so we pray this prayer today. Lord, come into my life. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness and make me a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen. Listen, if you pray that prayer with me, you have become a child of God today. God bless you and may he make you a blessing to others. If you prayed that prayer with Pastor Bennett and gave your life to the Lord, I would love to send you a copy of the New Believer's Bible. It's a very special edition of the New Testament with hundreds of notes written by Pastor Greg Laurie, and it's meant to help you get into God's Word and start growing in your faith. It's free, and it's LifeSpring Media's gift to you. All you need to do is send me an email at steve at lifespringmedia.com and tell me you prayed that prayer with Pastor Bennett. Let me know where to send your copy of the New Believer's Bible, and I promise I will not share or sell your information with anyone, ever. I just want to help you get a firm foundation. 
That email address again is steve at lifespringmedia.com and in the subject line of your email put, I prayed with Pastor Bennett. Thank you, Pastor Bennett, for bringing us once more a look at Scripture that encourages us to meet the real and living Messiah. I hope you'll join us next time. The best way to get all of Pastor Bennett's podcasts is to subscribe. Of course, it's free. All you have to do if you have a podcast app is just search in your app for In the Word with Mel Bennett, or you can subscribe at subscribe.lifespringmedia.com. There's even a way there to receive an email whenever a new episode is published. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us. My name is Steve Webb.